and two. Here we go. All right, on uh, three, two, one. We are speaking with uh, Dave Cousins of the band The Straubs. The new album, Settlement, is, uh, is, is well, I've heard it. Sounds great. Uh, and as we say in Montreal, Le bonjour, monsieur. How are you? I'm fine, thanks very much. It's a bit late for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> you, you think you think that all rock singers are in, sort of up till five o'clock in the morning? I'm not. Well, we're, I'm in Montreal, so it's only four o'clock in the afternoon. So I, I'm assuming that you're over in the UK, and it might be just a little bit later. It is. Oh well. It's well, nine o'clock at night. Oh well, it's. It's well, you know what? My wife is usually asleep by that time. Uh, but let's let's get into the into the new album. Uh, talk to me about putting this one together. Do you do you sort of look back to what the band has done in the last fifty years and say, okay, we've got a sound, let's stick to it? Or at this point, do you have that sort of freedom to experiment and do what you want and as you want? I don't look back. I, I know what we've done in the past. I certainly don't look back and say, oh, my God, we've got to sound like the Straubs. The hell with that. The Straubs change and evolve as we go along. We never have planned any album. We've never sat back and said, oh, we'll make a prog album now. I think we'll make a pop album. This time, I think it's time for a folk album. We make an album when the time is right, when the songs are right, we make an album. Uh, talk to me about this one. It's been four years since the last one. Um, in terms of the writing, how involved are you in writing everything? Is it just sort of mainly your baby or, or, or do you, you know, is it a team effort? Uh, it depends which album you're talking about. Uh, this particular album, I wrote most of the songs. I wrote all, all the lyrics bar one song. Uh, and... I involve the other guys when when it when it's necessary. For example, I on the song Each Manner of Man, I decided that I wanted to work with John Ford, our old bass player from the Grave New World days and uh, the big hit part of the Union and so on. And I sent him a set of lyrics and said, "John, have you got a tune for this in New York?" And he came back and said, "About an hour later, he came back and said, how does this sound?'" And it was the most wonderful tune I've heard for a long time. Not a wonderful tune. It's just a great tune that fits the words. And it's the most melodic song on the album. But I, I tried to write a couple of songs with our bass player, Chaz Cronk, at this time, and it didn't work properly. So it just happens as it, it, it happens. There is no set routine. I don't sit down with a bunch of blokes, and maybe other bands do, and all sit around a table and think, oh, let's, what should we do now? Um oh, Craig, you play that bit, then I'll play that bit, and I've got a bit here. We don't do that. The whole point of this album is the songs are the one that tell the story. The songs tell the, tell the whole essence of what the album is about. There's no time for us to make an album where we glorify, oh, let's put in the most complicated chord sections we can with all the um, diminished chords that we, we can remember, and then stick a few words to them. The song words are written first before the song is even recorded. And then the atmosphere of the song comes out of the lyrics. And the, the music is supplementary and tells the story. In terms of, of writing new music and creating new music, since you've been around since the, uh, the 60s, 
you obviously have, and you, and you mentioned Grave New World, your, your, one of your most uh, famous albums. What motivates you to create new music at this point? Is it just a point of, hey, I'm a creative person and therefore I have to create? Uh, because you could easily go out there and, and play some shows and play the hits or just play Grave New World in its entirety and fans would show up and love it. Um, what compels you to create new music and have new albums coming out at this point? What's going on in the world around me? It's uh, All of the songs are not necessarily biographical. They reflect what is happening. And at this bit last year, a year, almost a year ago now, um, what was happening was that we were in a lockdown. I was very strange looking out of the street and there's no traffic going by, nobody walking by. At night, everybody went out and clapped the NHS, our National Health Service, at 7 o'clock every night. And that was the only time we ever saw anybody. And it was the most strange atmosphere. And I picked up a guitar, which I, I don't pick up a guitar every day and play. I bought a, a particularly new guitar in Slovakia that I actually love, but I hardly played the thing. Picked it up, put it in an open E tuning, no, an open D tuning, and started to play it. And out came a song called Strange Times, which was a reflection of what was happening around me. And that I then thought, well, how the heck do I communicate this with the rest of the band? So I we managed to rig up the, the Apple computer and the phone, and I played the chord sequence over to our keyboard player. That was in March. Uh, he didn't even get involved in it until September, but by then the song had been finished. So it was so that sort of thing. But, but I had to send the... The, the songs over to the band and it all began to evolve with that particular one song. What do I do with this now? So I then recorded, I didn't have any recording equipment for heaven's sake, I got rid of it all I had a Yamaha Flying Fader 16 track fabulous machine I couldn't operate it, it had two manuals I couldn't read the blinking thing I recorded one song on it and then even then I managed to get the click track on it but it didn't matter. I still used it on an album, but that's going to one side. I gave away the microphone I had. I had nothing. And I thought, what do I do? So I phoned up Blue Weaver, who was their old keyboard player, and I'd been to see him in Germany. I said, Blue, what do I record on? And he said, get yourself a little Zoom H6 recorder. It's a little tiny four-track recorder about, oh, about smaller than a bag of sugar. And i I realized it had a microphone on the top and I could plug the guitar in the side. So I thought, well, I'll record on that. But then I had to read the manual and learn how to use that. Then I bought myself a little Neumann microphone and I had to buy a mic stand. I didn't have anything. And then I bought myself, which is the best thing of all, a Stedman pop shield so that the, the sound quality of the vocals was wonderful. And I started by putting down my guitar to a click track, which I've I'd done once or twice before and then sang to that and sent that round to the band. And then they came back and said, well, what do you want us to play on it? I said, well, you play what you want. And then this whole load of stuff came back that didn't really fit it. So then I wrote out all of the chords to the song, numbered the bars, and then said to Dave Lambert, can you play bars 59 to 67? Can you play a solo there? What sort of solo do you want? Oh, something sensitive. Oh, okay. 
Um, and then where, where do you want the base to come in? Well, I suggest you come in there. And it was all pieced together like that. I haven't seen one member of the Straubs, either in vision or in person, for a year. Wow. So uh, talk to me then in terms of, of the recording process, because this one, th this was a, a little bit uh, unordinary or not ordinary. Um, what is the band's uh, normal procedure? Do you, do you like that sort of get in there and, and, and record all together in a band or in the studio? Or since we've now moved into the day of, of Pro Tools and everybody sends each other parts through emails, um, what are sort of the greatest changes you've seen over the years recording-wise? And, and which do you prefer? Do you prefer sort of the new method or do you prefer the old method of everybody in a room and come on, let's get this done together? Well, when we were making Grave New World, we were all in the studio together and the album bursting at the seams. And that seemed to be the natural way to do it. But the last albums that we've made have all been done to a click track with me putting down, I mean, when I was able to, go to Chaz Cronk, the bass player's home studio, put a click track down, sing, play the chord parts there so that he could understand what I was talking about and sing the vocals to that. And then when we got to the studio, which was uh, a studio run, run by Chris Tangaridis, who was a very famous producer Yo, of yes, heavy he metal. Is. Yes, he is. One of so, the best. Yeah. One of the best. I know. But well, he made our last album, The Ferryman's Curse, but sadly he died a month afterwards. And that's why Blue Weaver came in to produce this latest album. But I, we went to him with the click tracks. Uh, the Ferryman's, let's take the Ferryman's Curse. We went to him with the click tracks with just my guitar and vocal on it. Uh, and then the uh, the keyboard parts were dropped in on that, flown in. Then the guitar parts were flown in. Then the drummer, Tony Fernandez, flew over from Portugal. And in two days, he put down all the drum parts, playing two, two headphones, two the tracks. And last of all, the bass was put on. And then the vocals were put on very, you know, redone where necessary. Sometimes I kept the vocals as they were on the demos that I'd done. And that's what's exactly what's happened with this. But this is a more extreme version of that. Because as I say, none of us have seen one another. I don't know whether the others have seen one another face to face. Well, I haven't seen any of them. You know, I think they talk to one another. I, I don't really know because I don't talk to anybody. We don't even phone up. Last time I spoke to Chaz Cronk was... Uh, just uh, about a month ago when he phoned up and said, uh, can I have some money for the studio time? So I said, oh, all right. And that was the last time I spoke to him. I haven't spoken to any of the others. I, I don't feel... speak to Dave Lambert. To get... I don't ever speak to Dave Lambert. <laughs> I don't know his phone number. <laughs> I send him emails. That's hilarious. And we, we, we communicate that way. This is not this is not your regular band that you 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 might sort of see working in studios together. This is a, a very odd way of doing things. Let me, uh, uh, since you brought up Chris Tangredes, uh, let me ask you a little bit about working with him because when you go back to uh, Grave New World and those albums that came after, the Straubs uh, produced themselves. Before that, you were working with Tony Visconti. Uh, but, but Chris, of course, has done Halloween, Anvil, Judas Priest, uh, Ingve Momstein, Tigers, Tigers of Pantang, all these incredible heavy metal bands. What does he bring to a project like the Straubs or, or to yourself? Because he, he's coming in from that more heavy metal thing and, 
And of course, this album sort of has those moments of heaviness. Um, talk to me a little bit about him, because I, I, I love to remember Chris. He was just one of the greatest. What did he bring to, to, to he, your he band? Was, oh, yeah. I'm terribly sad that he died. I, it mm. was, unfortunately, I was in hospital when he died, and I couldn't get up from my hospital bed. Uh, that I was in hospital at that time for 16 days. It was a very serious illness. Um, but what people don't realize is that he was the tape operator on Grave New World and Bursting at the Seams. So he knew us from a very, very early age. And when I moved down to the coast from London about 15 years ago, I suddenly saw a couple of guys walking around in an in the Indian restaurant of all places with long hair, with Canadian, well, I thought they were American accents. And I went up to them and said, I hope you don't mind me asking, but uh, what are you doing here? They said, oh, we're recording uh, up the road. There's a studio. I said, oh, is it? I said, yeah. I said, uh, what's the name of your band? They said, Anvil. I said, oh, yeah, I'd never heard of Anvil. But anyway, they, they were Anvil and they were making that famous album that Chris made with them. And I thought, oh, well, I remember Chris. So I went up and knocked on the door of the studio. And he said, oh, come in, come in. I haven't seen you for 30, 40 years. He said, come in, come in, have a look around the studio. And all around the walls were these lovely a gold discs, silver discs, even a diamond disc. And uh, that was for your famous Canadian band, whose name I've just temporarily escaped me. Was that uh, Anvil? The wonderful Anvil? No, no. No, it's a Canadian band, a huge band. Rush, um, Triumph. Let me think. No, I'm trying to think of all the Canadian band honeymoon suite. No, some, I would have been too some, early. Some, no, something, something. Okay. Um, well, anyway, this... it was a diamond album. It's ten million, ten times platinum. It went. That must have been Brian Adams. Uh, no. Oh. All right. Very, well, very close. I'll, 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 close. I'll think. I'll think of it in a minute. It'll I'll, come to me. I'll, I'll think It'll of it too. Up. Okay, but go on. The, some, the something, the, the, uh, it's coming back. Oh, no, it'll come in a minute. But anyway, Chris said, come in. He said, and what do you want to, uh, why are you up here? I said, I've decided I want to make a solo album. He said, oh, fine, we'll make a solo album. So he made a solo album that I put out uh, called The Boy in the Sailor Suit. And he said, well, I haven't done anything like this for years. I've been doing heavy metal, and it, it worked perfectly. Next thing I took up was the Sandy Denny and the Straubs uh, Masters. I had the old master tapes from 1967. I said, we've got, to, we've got to remaster this properly. And he did it on Pro Tools, and he was able to pick out the bass, and I'd never seen the Pro Tools operate like that, how he did it. It was absolutely astonishing to watch. You know, I, I haven't seen anything like this in years. And then with the Straubs, I took, him, took the band in there, and we made... Uh, the Broken Hearted Bride, and another album called... Uh, we've made so many albums, I lose track of that as well. But we made those albums up there. And Chris got into whatever we were doing. Sometimes I agreed with what he was doing. Sometimes he made them too heavy. But by and large, he understood what we were trying to do. And the album sounded fantastic. And as I say, he made The Ferryman's Curse, which went down very well. Uh, the Tragically Hip was the name of the band, by the way, that he produced. Oh, there you go. I remember them. Great, great band. Still, uh, I mean... Um, uh, the Tragically Hip, their biggest album, uh, went 10 times platinum, and that Chris produ uh, produced that. It might have gone 20 times platinum. 
it went diamond platinum. Anyway, so Chris has done as bands with a with a not the not all heavy metal. Anyway, getting back to Chris, that would have been the album up I, to here, I believe. I don't think so. Oh, I don't remember that. Um, well, let's, uh, let's see. Uh, Fully complete and up to here are two diamond records for for the tragically hit. But anyway, but uh, the other interesting thing of 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 going back to to your album uh, was uh, Grave New World. You also are working with Tom Allum, who became. Uh, again, uh, Priest's uh, 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 producer. So just a, an incredible uh, amount of talent going on in, in your studio. Um, since we're on this album, how important was Grave New World to your career? Because this is the one where, you know, Rick Wakeman has left, uh, you're producing it yourself, and it is the one that we sort of all look back on and go, yep, that's the one. Um, how do you feel about that record, and how important was it to the Straubs? It was a very important album because when Rick left the band, I couldn't make up my mind at the time whether I should carry on with the band or maybe I should just pack it all in. And I had somebody, a fan, had given me a book called the I Ching, which is the an old Chinese philosophical book where you ask the book any question you like, and you get any answer from tossing the coins in the air, uh, up in the air, and you go through the book, and out come the answers to the songs. I tossed, I said to the book, shall I carry on with the straws, toss the coin, the runes, or as they're called in the book, but toss the coins in the air, and went into the book and wrote the words out that it book told me to write down. And it said, the wanderer has far to go, humble must he constant be, where the paths of wisdom lead, distant is the shadow of the setting sun. Benedictus. And that was the beginning of that album. It told me, yes, you've got to carry on and do it. We went into the studio and put down Benedictus first. Blue Weaver, at first sight, that was the first song we rehearsed with him when he left Amen Corner and joined us. And he, he found it a bit strange because he'd never played anything quite like it. It was in a, a soul review band at the time, if you like. Uh, and so there we were playing all this folky sounding stuff with strange chords. I played it on a dulcimer and uh, it, and then played the solo with a fuzz box uh, and, a, um, and a Hawaiian slide on the on the strings. So it's, it's a most weird sounding thing. And people think it's a lead guitar, but it isn't. It's an electric dulcimer. But that was what we did and experimented. And once Blue got into that song, then we started to put the other songs down. And I already had an idea that this was going to be a journey through life and a, a sort of an album, a, I hate the word concept album, but all the songs were needed to link together. And so the album was recorded pretty much in the running order that it came up in. And so... It, and it did tell a story. It was, had to be a little bit vague at times, but it's never, ever been performed live on stage, the whole of Grave New World, until two years ago when we did it, our 50th anniversary weekend in New Jersey, in Lakewood, New Jersey, Yeah. when we got together with Blue Weaver, John Ford, myself, Dave Lambert, and we played and the whole of Grave New World from beginning to end. But with a narration by John Wesley Harding, uh, which actually filled in the storyline. And that was a very difficult thing to do on stage as well, because well, at the beginning of 
I was going to say, was that the show with Eric Bazilian? Was that the one where Eric Bazilian showed up? Yeah, the guy from the Hooters. Love Eric. That was great. Eric Brazilian was part of the band that recorded the whole, and that we're working on that now to release it this year. But the whole of Grave New World with narration. Now, what I had to explain to the audience before we started is: look, we, this is going to be a story of the album. The album is telling a story. There will be a narration going on. Will you please refrain from applauding the songs during the show? I don't want you to applaud. Uh, at the end, if you like it, you can either throw tomatoes at us or you can applaud. But please do not make a sound during the whole show. And so for an hour, we played a whole hour of music with narration with the audience in absolute silence. And I don't know any band that's ever done that before. It well, was very difficult to do because you got no reaction from well, uh, well, it's a little bit but, like but playing they, in Japan. You know, the, the early Japanese crowds, uh, crowds always sat there politely. Like, okay, don't. Uh, oh, yes, well, we went to Japan and I couldn't believe it. We we sort of put our heart and soul into it, heads sweating. And and, that, and then they just stare down. at you. They just, they just look and at they you. They're just like, oh. one, two, three, four, <laughs> clap. And that was it. It's great. Never mind. Let me, uh, let me just quickly ask you, the band has had, um, you know, lineup changes over the years and you, you've had Don Airy in there. But for, for a while, you had Oliver Wakeman, who's uh, Rick's son. What was that like for you to, you know, have the father in the band and then have the son? Was that sort of a, a, a fun moment to, to have or was it just very much business? Oh, here's the keyboard guy. Go to work. How was how it to have, you know, the son show up and be part of the band? Because it's kind of like in all in the family, right? It is. Straubs is a family. And in fact, uh, it, there's a, another way. We've had Adam Wakeman in the band as well. His, oh, that's his, right. So Rick's eldest. That's right. Yeah, Rick's eldest son is Oliver Waitman. Adam is the second son. And Adam uh, has been t- touring with Black Sabbath on all their farewell shows. Correct. Uh, playing organ and uh, doubling, oh, I have to tell you a little secret, doubling Tony Iommi's guitar parts. Wow. But we won't talk. That's, that's a bit of a trade secret. <laughs> but, but anyway... Um, but it happens. Everybody's doing that these days, you know. Oh, are they? Oh, I, I don't. Nobody could play what I'd play. <laughs> well, I'd play. So, so you're not but anyway. Okay, go ahead. We had we had Rick in the band, and he left. But Rick become. I speak to Rick regularly, and he he'll always play if I ask him to play on the record. He will do. I didn't ask him to play on this record, but he would have done. And uh, but anyway. Adam played with us for about 10 years on and off. Um, and then we needed, uh, he went off and said, well, I can't do anything. And we we're about to make a new album. And so I thought, I, I, wonder, I, I can't remember what Oliver's like. I knew Oliver from my radio days when I, when, when I took a period off and went into the radio business. And we'd met up and had a few drinks in a pub in, in North Devon where he was living. And I phoned him up and said, can we have a chat? And I went down. We got on famously. And then I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll bring Chaz Cronk down with me and we'll run through a few songs. And we went down and played the songs. And he, he said, I really like this. He said, it's not what I'm used to playing. But he, he played beautifully. When we got in the studio, just like his father, it, exactly the same attitude and mannerisms. He said, okay, he 
rolled his sleeves up, stood up, said, right, play it. And then he, he just went went for it, played, then said, right, play it again. Now I'm now going to overdub a cello line, play it again. I'm now going to put another violin part on there, play it again, and built up this huge, uh, not cacophony, but a huge wall of sound. It was like being on stage with his dad. I tell you, it's really, really bizarre. Adam's a different character, uh, but Oliver is the epitome of his dad, and you know exactly what he did, exactly like his father. He left Straubs and joined Yes. <laughs> well, hey, and hopefully they have the same sense of humor because Rick is hilarious. I mean, I've seen his uh, one-man show, and it's it's one of the funniest things you'll ever see. Um, let me ask you this. I'm going to go a little off script here, but... I'm an incredibly huge Def Leppard fan. I, I have loved them for, for 40 years. And you're the voice at the beginning of When the Wall Come When the Walls Come Tumbling Down off of the uh, On Through the Night album. Um, talk to me just a little bit about that. First of all, how, how did you end up there? Was it sort of you were in the studio and they said, hey, come on over and do this? And No. No. And well, and then let me just say, put in the second part real quick is when you went in and, and did that and, and heard the song... Could you tell there was something special about them, or was it like, meh, it's just a throwaway, and uh, these guys will never hear from them again? Talk to me about that experience with Leopard. Jeff Leopard, what is not known is that Joe Elliott, and the guitar player, his name I can't remember, when they were first starting out, used to come and see me play in 1979 to 1980, when I was doing the Odd Folk Club with Brian Willoughby on guitar. And they used to come, I'm not exaggerating at all, and sit at our feet and watch us play just as a duo. And they came up to me one night and said, we really love that tonight, Dave. Here's our first, is, this is our first EP, and gave me a, an EP. God knows what's happened to it, but it's, I, I hunt for it high and low all through my various re- records, but I can't find a damn thing because it's probably worth a fortune. It is. Go but, to eBay. You'll, you'd be very rich very quickly. I know. But anyway, they used to come and see us play and we became very friendly. And then they were being produced by Tom Allen and they were being produced in the studio where we recorded uh, several albums, including Heartbreak Hill and, uh, oh, I can't remember now. But anyway, we recorded in there. It was John Lennon's old studio that Ringo had bought. They're called Startling Studios. And there they were recording in there. And Tom Allen was producing them. And I happened to go in there to see Tom Allen. And they said, oh, Dave, hi. come over here. And they said, we're doing this song. And Joe said, look, he said, hey, I can't, I'm trying to read this thing. I can't do it. You do it. You read it for us. So I read it. And they were absolutely thrilled with it. And they said, oh, thanks ever so much, Dave. That was wonderful. Then the album came out and people went, what the hell are you doing on a Def Leppard album? Anyway, about 10 years ago, I bumped into them at uh, a festival in London. And there was Joe standing there. And I went up to him and said, if I were to say to you, and the walls came tumbling down, what would you say? He said, fucking Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I love that album. I mean, Rock Brigade, Hello America, or, uh, Wasted Rocks Off, When the Walls Come. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And uh, I, it's nice they're, to speak to somebody band. who... Oh, they're, they're, they're a terrific band. And 
it's just amazing because the band you saw then, of course, had Steve Clark and Pete Will, uh, Pete Willis, I should say. Uh, Pete left uh, shortly after, and Steve, of course, unfortunately passed away. So the fact that they were able to change members, like the Straubs changed members, and still keep going and still be a, a force to be reckoned with is is amazing, just like the Straubs is, by the way. Um, just real quick. Uh, we, we don't deliberately change members. Of course. Uh, people choose to leave. If they leave, they're welcome back at any time, as, and many of them do come back and join us again and play again. It's, it's, as I said, Straubs is a family. And Blue Weaver said when we were making this album, he said, he said Straubs is, a, you know, you, you never leave the Straubs. You, you're always part of it. And it's, it's a lovely feeling uh, that you, you've helped people on their way and they help me on my way all the time. I learn from these people. When Rick joined the band, he didn't realise I was standing over him watching him play the piano and finding out what he did with his left hand. And so I write songs on the piano, and I use my left hand. And when I made a solo album, well, an album with Rick, I said, I want you to play this. He said, well, you better play it for me, and then I'll see what you, what, how you play the piano. He said, I don't play the piano. I, do. I said, you like that? I said, yes, you do. I've learned it from watching you play. And But he, I write everything. When I write on piano, I write around the left hand, the bass notes. Everything is created around the bass notes. I have these curious ways of writing songs that are not conventional. I don't sit and put a C, D, E, F, G down. I just put the chords down as I hear them. And and when Rick played it, he said, I would never have written a chord sequence like that. He said, it's, it's, not, it's not how I think. And I thought, well, if you knew how I'd built it up and what's your left hand and what you do with it, then you'd know why I'd do it. Anyway, sorry, I was interrupting. No, 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 it's great. Uh, I'll, I'll end with this because we're at half an hour. Uh, of course, uh, Straub's Settlement is available now. You can head over to, in fact, uh, cherryred.co.uk uh, has it, and you can get it all, all, all over the place. Um, it's been 50 years. Do, do you at some point say to yourself, okay, we need to do like everybody else and have a farewell tour? Or do you just sort of do like Fats Domino and Chuck Berry, uh, sorry, B.B. King is who I meant, and just keep going until you can't? Um, I, we had the 40th anniversary, and that nearly killed me, not physically. Uh, and I, I was actually very ill at the time, but nobody realized. Um, I had several operations after that. But then I thought, oh, I'm not sure we can carry on with this. Then we did the 50th. And I, that nearly killed me as well, because it was incredibly intense. For, for I, I sang for about over two days. I sang for eight hours on stage. Unbelievable amount of time. Um, but when we get round, we're not able to, we won't be doing much touring this year. You, you can see, I can see it in the runes, you know, you can yeah. see what's happening with the... You, COVID. Being a statistician, I don't, people don't realise, but I'm... I've got a, a college degree in maths and statistics. That's right. And I can see what's happening. I can see what's happening with the, with the graphs and how they're covered up and how they're misrepresented. And I can follow them and I can see when the next spike will begin to emerge, etc. So I can't see us playing much this year. Next year we'll come out and do some shows. I'm already talking uh, to an agent in America about doing some shows in America at the beginning of uh, next year. And also uh, coming up to Canada, because I particularly 
Uh, one place I want to go back to, we had a, we did it. Uh, our, we said it was our last tour of Canada. Last time we came up, this will be the encore tour that we'll do this time. Well, come back um, to Montreal. But, Montreal loves you. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do. We'll see what we can do. But anyway, we, we've got an open invitation to go to Oakville, uh, uh, just outside Toronto. Yeah. And we've got a, a, a probably an open invitation to go up to Quebec. Uh, so there, there's two shows already that we'll do, and I, I just love uh, I love playing in Canada. It, I don't people don't realise per capita I think we sold more records in Canada than any other country in the world, and it's a, a particularly favourite place for me to come and play. When uh, we played in Canada, I sang one song entirely in French, and and introduced it entirely in French in in Quebec. And the audience went crazy. Uh, they sat there and listened in absolute silence, which was wonderful. And they understood every word. It was Grace Darling, the song Grace Darling, but done in French. Tu as été mon phare pendant l'orage. Tu m'as donné refuge, chaleur et réconfort. Et réconfort. Man, we, on, on aime ça au Québec. We love this in Quebec. And uh, by the way, I just wanted to say, uh, I noticed... Uh, that you were a, a producer for Denmark Radio for back in the day. And uh, my mom, who's uh, going to be 81 this year, has been doing a, a show on uh, Denmark's radio for about 40 years as a Canadian correspondent. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting that there's a small, small world where everybody has little connections here and there. But uh, on that, Mr. Cousins, uh, absolute pleasure. Uh, merci beaucoup, as we say in Montreal. Merci bien. À bientôt. Et à bientôt. Bonne soirée. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Perfect. Just over.